It is your Tuesday Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Glad to be back for another day and another show. Hope you guys are having a good day out there today. And a good show. Like I said, coming up, Randy Johnson from the Star Tribune will join me here in just a little bit. Gophers football team starting fall camp this week. Randy and I will talk all about some positional battles and also the uh, the battle off the field with P.J. Fleck having to address reports last week of, of, of mistreatment within his program and kind of where that all stands right now. Randy, of course, covers the Gophers. He also covers some Gopher hockey. We want to get into uh, with Randy some Logan Cooley discussion as well. Cooley, the excellent Gophers forward who decided late last week that he is turning pro going to the Arizona Coyotes. So a little bit of that with Randy as well here in just a little while. I've got some Twins trade deadline history to get to in just a minute as well, and a Wild and Vikings development at the end of the show. First, though, what did I miss? I missed it. You might have missed it, but you you might have woken up to the news. U.S. women's soccer team barely gets through group play, and I mean barely. A 0-0 draw with Portugal. They knew all they needed was a draw, and they barely got that draw. Portugal had an excellent opportunity in stoppage time, hit the goalpost with about maybe two or three minutes left. That shot, had it gone in, would have sent the Americans home uh, for the first time ever, would have sent them home for the first time ever uh, in in, the... in the group st- I'm sorry in the uh, in the uh, in the group stage instead they do advance to the round of 16 but I think we have definitely seen this is not the uh, dominant at least so far American squad they were used to seeing a win and two draws in group play and again I think they were in a pretty good group so we'll, we'll cut them a little bit of slack there but my goodness can you imagine the headlines had they lost that game which started at 2 a.m central time and by the way their next game will be 4 a.m central time on Sunday. So these start times doing us no favors for those of us who want to actually watch this. But um, yeah, it's just not not your uh, not not the team we're used to seeing. They're the defending champs. They won it last time around. A much greater struggle this time through. Had a few chances in this game, you know, could have made it a lot easier on themselves. And they don't even win the group. The Netherlands ends up winning the group. They are the second place finisher in the group. Good enough to advance though. That is really all that matters in group stage. Get out of the group play does give them a slightly harder matchup in the uh, in the next round because they now have to face the winner of that other group instead of the second place finisher but you know won't really matter how they got there if they if they end up going on a run and reaching you know a, a semifinal or final stage of this of this cup kind of their customary uh, customary journey but definitely not the not the dominant side we're used to seeing and that showed up certainly in a very tight draw to to go through against against Portugal. Major League Baseball trade deadline is tonight at 5 p.m. Central. In honor of that, a couple things to note. First, uh, I'll have one of our Twins writers on tomorrow's show to talk about what happened, what didn't happen, where the team goes from here. But before that, I wanted to take a look on today's show at some of the moves of the Derek Falvey and Thad Levine trade deadline era. And what struck me as I was going through this, and it's kind of interesting, is they've done I think, in my estimation, a much better job when they are in seller mode than when they are in buyer mode. Um, so that let, let's keep that in mind as we go through some of these deals. Let's, let's start with the best ones first, just out of fairness. I think some of the best deals they've made, again, were when they were trading established players for prospects. Um, 
Probably the very best deal they made was 2018, trading up Eduardo Escobar, an impending free agent, to the Arizona Diamondbacks in a deal that netted them um, Joan Duran, who you might have heard of now. That was five years ago. He was a prospect at the time, a young pitcher, didn't know quite what they were getting. And again, some of these moves are judged by how prospects ended up faring once they got to the major leagues. And that's a little bit unfair. I'm going to try not to do that too much, but you got to look at this deal and say they gave up two months of Escobar in a year where they weren't going anywhere. 2018, they were not going to make the playoffs that year. They were below 500. They had made a surprising run to the wild card the year before. More on that in a minute. <clears throat> they were going to be the Bomba squad the next year, but 2018, I think they finished 78 and 84. They were not a very good team that year. End up getting a dominant reliever of the future, their closer of the future in Joan Duran. So a very good deal there. Probably the second best deal they made was 2021 when they flipped Nelson Cruz for Joe Ryan and Drew, St- Drew Strotman. Um, you know, Strotman has kind of stalled, but Joe Ryan, um, definitely a rotation mainstay, came in, had a couple good starts in 2021 in September, was really good for them last season, has been very good for them this year, albeit a little bit more shaky lately. But that deal, I mean, just giving up you know, on an impending free agent, Nelson Cruz, and getting back someone who is under team control for years and can be a rotation mainstay. Obviously, a very good deal for the Twins, even if they had to part with a popular player. They were going nowhere in 2021. That was a good trade for them. I would also put the Jose Barrios deal in 2021 into the good pile, even though Barrios, you know, he's gone on and been steady, you know, his steady, usual good self with with Toronto. If they weren't going to pay him, they got two very good prospects. Now, those prospects have not panned out yet. Austin Martin, the, the hitter, and Simeon Woods-Richardson, the pitcher. Woods-Richardson still has plenty of upside. Austin Martin, you know, maybe you can still say that about him. But at the time, those were two top five in the organization prospects that they got in one trade for Jose Barrios. I still think that was a good trade, even if those prospects have not worked out, because those guys um, <clears throat> really had the potential to be special, and they still do. Sometimes that happens with prospects. Sometimes they don't exactly pan out the way you think. Doesn't mean it was a bad trade at the time. Just means that, hey, you know, sometimes prospects miss. They get to this level or they get higher up, and it just doesn't work out. Some of the kind of more neutral moves, you got to mention Jaime Garcia in 2017. They got him and then traded him a week later. They were they were buyers and then sellers. Now, um, that was probably the weirdest uh, example of the trade deadline that uh, that they that they've ever done where, you know, they thought they were going to contend in 2017. They got Jaime Garcia to bolster their rotation. A week later they they'd gone on a losing streak. They traded away Jaime Garcia and then they ended up uh, beating the wild card, being the wild card anyway, even after trading away Brian Dozier and uh Brandon Kinsler, their closer that year. I'm sorry, Dozier was 2018, but uh, Brandon Kinsler that year. They they just did not have uh, did not really have a great plan that year. It seemed like for for what they were going to do, and it ended up working out, I guess. Although by the time they got to the wild card game, they probably could have used all the pitching they had. Uh, Brandon Kinsler would have been useful against the Yankees because if, you, if, you, if memory serves, they took a three nothing lead in that game. Irvin Santana could not hold on to it, and all uh, all heck broke loose. They did not end up having a good experience against the Yankees as is par for the course. Maybe could have used Jaime Garcia, who they did trade to the Yankees, and certainly could have used Brandon Kinsler in that game. Although I don't know if we're being honest if that really would have made a difference in that single game against the Yankees. But a strange 
deal that year. Um, other examples of them being sellers, like I said, the, the Dozier trade was 2018. They got Devin Smeltzer and uh, Luke Rayleigh from the Dodgers. Luke Rayleigh's having a really good year, by the way, right now for, uh, for Tampa Bay. Um, hadn't done much until this year, so I don't know if we can really say that's a great trade or a bad trade. Um, other times when they were sellers, that's kind of it for being sellers in terms of the notable trades, except for the, like I said, the aforementioned Brandon Kinsler trade. My good friend Chicken Fingers 69 of sportive, of sportive Co- podcast fame will never let that one go. We traded him for Tyler Watson and $500,000 in international bonus pool money. That did not work out great. Tyler Watson never really got anywhere, did not get traction in the big leagues. But then um, Kinsler was an all-star that year, so maybe they could have gotten a little bit more for him that year. Now, on the flip side, when they have been when they've been buyers, and that largely refers to uh, 2000, 2017, kind of when they got Garcia, but mostly 2019 and 2022 um 2020 they won the division but that was the covid year they did not make any uh, did not make any deadline deals that year when they have been buyers as they appear to be this year i mean they could be buyers and sellers if they do anything today but when they've been buyers the deals have not tended to work out in their favor uh 2019 they acquired sam dyson from uh from the giants for three prospects. I don't think the prospects have done much, but Dyson was a disaster. He had arm trouble right off the bat, barely pitched for the Twins, uh, was in off-field trouble, just not not a move that really helped them at all. They got Sergio Romo at the deadline that year as well. Romo was was useful. I think my, my biggest gripe about 2019 in retrospect is that that's all they did. They definitely needed bullpen help, but that was a team that really could have used more more help, a bigger swing. Um, you know, they had, you know, they ended up winning 101 games that year at the deadline. They were kind of flagging a little bit. I remember they, they were, you know, the lead, the division lead was down. They needed more help than what they got and certainly could have used more help once they got to the postseason. So I think my biggest gripe with 2019 is that they did not get aggressive enough in pursuing, you know, a more impactful player or players, especially in the bullpen at the deadline. Now, last year they tried for that impact. They acquired Jorge Lopez from Baltimore. They acquired Tyler Malley from the Reds. Both of those deals ended up being not so great. The Tyler Malley deal especially. I mean, you understood it. In retrospect, you get what they were trying to do. Tyler Malley would have had about a year and a half of team control at the time they acquired him, but ends up you know, getting shut down due to injury after just a few starts last year. Same thing this year. He barely pitched for the Twins. Don't imagine he's going to be on the roster beyond this season because he's a free agent. And the two prospects they gave up, Spencer Steer has had a very good year for the Reds this year. He's OPS over 800, 15 home runs, a, a middle infielder, right-handed hitter with pop, that would play very well in the Twins lineup. That's exactly what they need right now, exactly what they're probably trying to get at this year's trade deadline is a Spencer Steer type, the kind of guy they gave up last year in pursuit of more pitching, which they have more of now. And Christian Encarnacion Strand, another excellent prospect, tore up AAA, hasn't been quite as good since his call-up, but still a very highly regarded prospect who could make them pay for that deal for years to come. Now, the Baltimore trade... With, uh, with Jorge Lopez, gave up Yenier Cano, who hadn't done anything for him. He becomes an all-star for Baltimore this year, and they gave up prospects in the deal too. So that deal could haunt them for a while as well. They just flipped Lopez for another reliever. I don't know, just a guy kind of seems like. I don't know if that's going to really work out all that well or not. That's not a real impact move. 
But just looking at this, I'd, I'd be wary. I'd be wary of what's going to happen today based on the history. When when Derek Falvey and Thad Levine have been in seller mode, they've been much more successful than when they've been in buyer mode. So I guess buyer beware in this case, especially if you are a Twins fan watching the scoreboard and how this trade deadline shakes out. MGM Wine & Spirits is the choice for savings, service, and a great selection of spirits, premixed cocktails, wines, and of course, ice-cold beers and hard seltzers. With over 30 locations throughout the Twin Cities and beyond, there's an MGM near you. Head to MGMWineAndSpirits.com to find a convenient location in your area. Get social. Follow MGM on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest news and trends. Make great moments with MGM Wine & Spirits, your locally owned and operated choice for over 50 years. Save time, save money. Shop MGM. I've got Randy Johnson here on Daily Delivery. Randy, of course, covers go for football and some go for hockey too for the star tribune i want to pick his brain on a few things um, on both of those subjects go for football randy starting fall camp this week on the field already it's early august as of airtime right now uh it feels it always feels early when these teams are back on the field but it's it's going to be no time i suppose until they're playing these games for real pj fleck down at Big Ten Media Day last week in Indianapolis, and again on uh, on Monday, addressing the media. Uh, probably should talk about the big thing right away, Randy. Just the, the report last week, front office sports talking about the culture in the program, some unnamed players with some problems with how PJ Fleck runs things. PJ having to defend it. Uh, Mark Coyle definitely defending things. What, what's your take on on all of that? Because I don't think we've talked about that yet. Yeah, it, it was uh, it was something that uh, you know th- this had uh, this situation uh, had been out there in the past. Uh, uh, this reporter uh, did some other uh, sourcing on it, I guess, and uh, you know he has uh, you know, six or seven, I, I believe he said uh, on his, in his radio interview, uh, unnamed source and uh, alleging di- different unnamed former players. Sure. Um, he, he didn't name them, name them, um, alleging uh, the a bad culture and. Uh, stuff like that in, in the program. Um, you know, none of them were on the record. Um, so you, you basically right. you have to, uh, you know, when you when you see un- unnamed sources, you your uh, decision is how much do you trust the reporter? I, right. I guess that's the way I look at it. Um, so yeah, it, it uh, you know, PJ was uh, he was prepared uh, to, to defend himself uh, in his program um, in, in in Indianapolis there. Um, so yeah, he, he was pretty vehement in his denials and his, in his defense of his program. And, and some of it, you know, I read the story obviously, and some of it kind of reads like, yeah, we kind of knew, we kind of know this about the program, right? Like it's, it's run in a certain way. Like I, I don't think the, the idea, uh, I think cult-like probably takes it a step too far, but you know, a lot of the slogans, a lot of the kind of stuff within the program does strike you as, you know, he runs his program a certain way and some people might not like that. Yeah, it's it's a situation where PJ always says, "I'm not for everybody." Yes, you know, it, it's gonna it's gonna be something where they're ingrained. Uh, he's, he ingrains his players into his approach, uh, both on and off the field. They have to do a lot of community work, and maybe that doesn't uh, sit well with some people. I don't know. Uh, it, it's yeah, the slogans can uh, you know the some fans are they're, they're always uh, you know ripping on the row of the boat. You know, basically. Right. They, they don't like that culture. So certain ones, I mean, not everyone, I mean, some people are fine with it. Uh, yeah. It's just a situation where, yeah, not, not everybody likes a certain coach. And uh, if things didn't go well, um, you know, you know, 
that you know it'll happen where where players will will talk sometimes if you know given a chance. Uh, you know, a, a lot of it is it's it's kind of built in in, in the college football. You, know, you look at the size right. of the roster. You know, you have 120 some people, 85 scholarship guys, and you know, not everybody gets to play. Um, right. So it's almost built in where there's going to be some disgruntled people. Yeah. And sometimes they'll sometimes they'll let their disappointment be known. Yeah, no, I think that I think that's a good way to to look at it. Um, he had to address it, obviously, at Big Ten Media Day. Coaches hate the dreaded distraction idea. How, how do you think this lands as far as, you know, having to having this be a, at least a storyline initially as they open camp? You know, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, obviously, they didn't like to see that. Uh, they they uh, I, I the players were pretty uh, uh pretty vehement in their defense of the program and, you know, a little annoyed by the questions in, uh, in, uh, Indianapolis there. Um, it was, uh, yeah, they, they were, um, you know, I guess they just, they wanted to focus on football and they thought this was pretty frivolous. And, uh, you know, there were some choice words here and there peppered into. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that's not exactly what they want to be talking about. I'm sure the focus was more football when PJ addressed the media on Monday. I listened to some of that. What was your takeaways from some of that piece of it before we circle back on some Big Ten Media Day stuff? Ah, uh, you know, Monday was basically uh, they're getting ready. You know, they're they're back on the field now. This training camp has started. Uh, now their big thing is uh, kind of the theme for the season is, is poise. Uh, they want they want to develop a poise team. They they've got a lot of uh, of high-end positions that they have to uh, replace. You know, you, you had an All-America running back in Mohamed Ibrahim, an All-America center in John Michael Schmitz. Uh, you had a quarterback who had played forever in Tanner Morgan. Um, the, and then uh, deep two uh, drafted NFL defensive backs. So it's, um, you know, there's some holes to fill and they need to develop. How did, uh, you know, as, as we think about as, as POISE, is that a word or is that an acronym? Or do we have an acronym for POISE? Well, we have POISE that will go into poison. And uh, so uh, throughout the, uh, the the spring and summer, uh, po- if you're not poison, you become poison, basically. So PJ was hammering that that uh, thought home by uh, having the band poison played quite often in, uh, in, the, in the football facility and in the weight room and everything. And to the point where the players uh, say, hey, okay, we get it. Maybe a little bit less poison music in here. That's funny. Um, and I was joking a little bit, but it does say that he's not probably going to change how he runs his program based on um, based on that reporter, based on what some of those players are uh, are saying about him. The unnamed players are saying about him. I mean, you, the the on field stuff is interesting is as interesting as anything though. And you talked about replacing Tanner Morgan, replacing all these skill position players. I mean, this is we have talked about this already, but now it is far closer than it ever was before like as they think about that as they think about a pretty important year where they're coming off you know some some successful seasons no doubt about it but years where they haven't quite like they're like that one win away sometimes from from really having you know going from a solid year to an exceptional year or or going from an exceptional year to like a, a program you know changing year for thinking about 2019 where they were they were they were there like felt like it but they have one more win there things like that how, how do they now kind of maintain and or exceed that because that's kind of where you take the program to the next level right yep yeah and basically what he talks about a lot too is cultural sustainability okay how does that program how does that that uh, 
the floor get, tend to increase where you're not uh, replacing a starter with, like, say, a freshman. You're replacing a starter with an experienced, uh, you know, third year, third year sophomore, you know, fourth year junior, something like that. Um, that that's one thing where they've they've been trying to develop depth with experience, and they're gonna you're gonna see some of that. Uh, a good example is is Nathan Bow, who's gonna be taking over at center for, for John Michael Schmitz. He's been with the program for quite a while. He's played some, he hasn't played a ton, but he's played more than a lot of a reserve. So it, it's uh, it's just you know it's lifting that floor of the program. So it you know the end the end of it uh, right. goes a little higher. I mean yeah. So basically, three, you know, in 2019, in the last two years, they flip one Big Ten game in any, any of those years, one specific Big Ten game, they're playing in the Big Ten title game. Right. Um, so it's it's they're they've been very close. It's just they need to break through. One of them, uh, they need to break through against is Iowa. And yeah. Beaten Iowa under under PJ Fleck. They go there this year and they haven't won in Iowa. The, the program hasn't since 1999. Wow. I didn't realize it was that that long i mean and for a while wisconsin was at, the big, iowa. at iowa you know they beat yeah, right 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 you know and for a while the, well, wisconsin was the big one yep. they had to overcome and it still is but they've done that now a couple times recently you talk about raising the floor and i think it's interesting kind of like changing what's what's expected success what's baseline success like going to a spot where eight or nine wins is no longer surprise it's still it's still a, a baseline good season but that's kind of that's kind of the floor you establish at a certain point and it becomes harder now though because like we've talked about too like the schedule will get tougher and is getting tougher even already now and then especially as we kind of talk about you know more big 10 games ucla usc coming in in the year things like that like it, it doesn't get any easier from a schedule perspective no and this year especially too because you do they have both michigan and ohio state on there yeah the, the way it, and you know People have asked him about the challenging schedule. Uh, he, he he's calling an opportunistic schedule. He's saying right. we have opportunities in there to improve. So you know that's uh, he's taking it on his players, like not to uh, don't shy away from the challenge. Yeah, and I'm sure the the Minnesota and the flex stuff was brought up a lot at Big Ten Media Day. But I have to imagine the Northwestern stuff dominated a lot of that. In addition to you know, Harbaugh he was talking about the suspension in Michigan, like a lot of off-field stuff that they that was percolating. I'm sure as as the as those days were going on. Yeah, that, that's the way it's been going lately with uh, uh, Big Ten media days. Uh, so I, I remember covering it one year in Chicago, and the big story was uh, Urban Meyer, uh, his defense of a of a um, an assistant coach who had gotten into domestic uh, abuse trouble. Um, then uh, two years ago, it was the it was Oklahoma and Texas leaving the SEC, so people were acting that. Last year, it was USC and UCLA coming into the Big Ten, so that was the the big story there. So it uh, seems like every summer, it's not all about football, and in, uh, more often than not, it's more about off the field stuff. Yeah, no doubt. Well, you know, I mean, camp is camp is always interesting. I mean, if you had to pick any positional battles, things you're looking for in camp is or as early storylines. I mean, fans get a first chance to see. The Gophers on the field, I believe, Saturday, uh, the open practice. Like, what what are we looking at in terms of, you know, not just like players to watch, but like competition where where really there's there's things that are unsettled and will be settled in the next few weeks. Yeah, uh, some of the things I'm looking at and Saturday, 7 p.m. Uh, Huntington Big Stadium, their first open practice. They have another one on August 15th. I believe that's a Tuesday. Uh, that's a 3:30 at the Athletes Village. Um, 
but yeah, so Saturday, I, I'm looking, I'm looking at running back. Um, you know, some big shoes to fill in Mohamed Ibrahim. Um, uh, transfer Sean Tyler from from Western Michigan, uh, a very good all-purpose back. Um, he, he obviously would will be getting a good chunk of the carries, but I'm not sure he was, he, he's the workhorse that uh, that Mo was. Uh, so then you probably get, uh, get a good look at uh, Zach Evans, a uh, redshirt freshman from, from last year, and the even true freshman Darius Taylor, a uh, kid out, out of Michigan who uh, he had uh, several 400-yard rushing games last year. Uh, He's uh, you know pretty legit player it looks like so those those guys I'm looking to, I'm interested to see what happens there offensive line they have, they have to fill some holes there that'll be interesting uh, a linebacker spot and a cornerbacker spot uh, we'll see what what happens there those are the ones uh, I'll be looking most at uh, they need to generate a, a, a better pass rush this year so we'll see how uh, uh, players like Ja Joiner and Danny Strigo how they develop. Um, yeah, it, there, there's some some places. There's will be some interesting battles. Wide receivers, another one. They've they've revamped that room and brought in a couple transfers who should be able to make a immediate impact. Uh, Elijah Spencer, Corey Crooms. So th- there's, yeah. there's a lot of new newcomers to watch. Is quarterback settled with Ethan Calicmanis, or is that still? Is there any any wiggle room there? Or are we saying that's that's the starter right now? Well, that's, I would say it's penciled in and okay. in, in, in pretty good. A firm pencil. It's not number quite... two pencil. Yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, the one thing Cole Kramer did play pretty well in the spring game, and it's and it's unlike he had a very good spring practice. So I, I wouldn't necessarily say he won't get any playing time. Okay. Well, should be fun to watch that. Final thing before I let you go, Randy. Um, Logan Cooley left the Gophers. We found that out last week in the midst of all this other news and he you know he had maybe been a little bit of a surprise that he was staying after that really good freshman season you know high draft pick of of Arizona ends up now though leaving going pro um where did that register for you in terms of surprise not surprise um and just the decision that he ended up making to to leave after initially staying you know a few months later changing that decision yeah I would say I was probably more surprised that when he announced he was staying yeah I, think I, thought, that's fair. I thought he would be going. Now then he, then he announced he stands. So okay, maybe this maybe this is going to come through. It. I, I always thought there was a risk that he would go. Um, you know, once he got to the the, the Kyle's development camp, it seemed like things started to tilt the other way a bit. He he had an interview where he said, "Well, yeah, I'm still going. I'm you know I'm still going, but you know it's not completely settled now." Or yeah, he, he left the door open a crack, and and then it, it you know and I, I'm sure. Uh, the fact that you know the money is getting help, help open that door quite a bit more. Um, you know he, he can make up uh, up to three point five in incentives if he hits certain numbers. So it, it you know there's there's some some uh, decent money to be made there more more than he can make an nil here. I'm, I'm uh, sure. yeah, I would think so. I would think so. Yeah, and, and I I just think he <clears throat> felt he was ready. Um, one of the telling uh, things was uh, uh, when. Um, he pulled out of the uh, the U.S. Uh, World Juniors development camp this summer, so and he he played for the the World Junior team last year and, and could have played again this year, but so but he pulled out of that camp, so that kind of like okay, there's a bit of a sign here that right maybe he's not going to be back in college. Yeah, well, Gophers still have a lot of talent, but you take you kind of take that bonus like oh wow, Cooley's coming back, and then take that out of the equation. Where do you think that leaves them? You know, Big Ten and, and overall comp- competitive wise. 
Uh, still one of the better teams in the country. Um, you know, they, they do have a lot of talent. Uh, Bob Moscow's recruited very, very well recently, uh, especially. And uh, it's, yeah, they're, they're not, um, you know, they're, they probably won't, you know, they might not be the favorite to win it all. I think yeah. they would have been the favorite to win it all going into the season uh, with Logan Cooley. Maybe not the favorite, but I, I'd still say in the mix. Uh, in, in, yeah. uh, they're, you know, I think they have a very strong chance to get to the Frozen Four at the X uh, this this uh, spring. I was going to say, let's not forget that is at the X this year, and that has served them well in, in past years, especially 2002. So we'll see how that works out for them. Uh, Randy Johnson, appreciate it. As always, follow Randy's coverage. Go for football camp and obviously any hockey news that comes along between now and start of the season and certainly in the season. Um, Randy, take care, and we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good, Mike. Appreciate it. See you. Good stuff from Randy Johnson. Always appreciate catching up on Gopher football. The season will be here before we know it. It's August now. Uh, That reminds me, I've got a trip coming up to North Carolina. I'm going there to see the Gophers play uh, North Carolina in a little over a month. I have a good, really good friend out there who who we're going to go watch the game with, bringing a few few friends from here as well. So that should be a lot of fun. Haven't seen a Gophers road game in a very long time, so looking forward to that trip and probably do some podcasting around it. We'll see. Um, It should be be an event out there um, in the middle of September when they play at North Carolina. Let us finish with the cooler. A couple things. Daniil Hunter says he wants to be a Viking forever. I don't see that working out necessarily, uh, but uh, but good for him. They got, they got that resolved, and uh, and that you know he's back and, and back and practicing and things like that. So that that has to make the Vikings. That has to make Brian Flores in particular feeling good about having him back in the fold, having him back on the field, and having him at least for 2023. Um, and the Wild resigned Philip Gustafson. That was. Not surprising, but it did take a little while. Ultimately, a three-year deal worth a little over $11 million total. Seems like a fair deal for both sides. Listen to uh, listen to the news conference yesterday with Gare, but with GM Bill Guerin and Philip Gustafson. I kind of feel like they're still in a little bit of a wait-and-see mode with, with Gustafson. Uh, Guerin described his, his season last year as a career year, and I think that's fair. So I think they're waiting to see, like, is he really going to be a bona fide number one um, you know, how does he fit into this picture long term? They've obviously got Marc Andre Fleury still this year. They got Jasper Wallstead waiting in the wings in the minor leagues. Where does Gustafson fit overall as the years go on? But he'll be here for three years. If he's anything close to what he was last season, this will be a very good, um, very good starting point for them to have goaltending wise going forward. And you compare him with Wallstead in future years, you're going to have relatively low-cost goaltending and potentially very good goaltending. And those are two very good things to have. So a good, not even a good problem for the Wild, just a good, seems like they've got that position, at least for now, at least in the near term and and medium term, and potentially long term, depending on how good Wallstead is. They've got that position pretty well figured out. That's it for me today. Uh, Like I said, I should be joined tomorrow uh, by one of our baseball writers still sorting out whether that's going to be Phil Miller or Bobby Nightingale, but one of those guys will join me to break down the trade deadline. I think we're going to have some Vikings talk later in the week, maybe some Bally Sports Sports chatter as well, just kind of catching up on the latest on sports on TV and how you watch sports and where we are with, you know, potentially where the Twins might be in 2024. So hoping to bring you that on a show later this week as well. Until then, have a great rest of your Tuesday. I'm Michael Rand. Back at it again tomorrow.